gentlemen, welcome back to A Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice, sometimes thrice weekly delve into the worlds of news, politics, dystopia, and all things awful. Uh, how are we doing? What's going on with you guys? Uh, if it's your first time tuning in, welcome, welcome, pull up a pew, crack yourself open a beer, roll yourself up a bifter, whatever it is that you need to help that medicine go down. Um... If it's uh, yeah, if it, if it is your first time uh, joining us, uh, maybe maybe you found me on Twitter, maybe you found me on TikTok or YouTube. The alternative paper reviews that I'm doing now, um, they're sort of they're blowing up a little bit. You know, I'm quite happy with how they're growing. A uh, little bit disappointed that more people aren't flocking to like the punk politics stuff. You know, like um. Or, or the uh, or the podcast, right? You know, like I enjoy doing the podcast and punk politics. And it is my aspiration, dear listeners, dearer viewers, that at some stage, punk politics or the podcast or possibly some sort of mutation, now amalgamation of both of them together, that they will become like a show that is well produced twice a week. And I will be paid to do it. It will become my quote-unquote proper job. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit disappointing that, you know, I put those ones out. And they say they do okay. But then it's really, it's the paper reviews where people flock to. And that is depressing for two reasons. Firstly, I just kind of shit them out, like, first thing in the morning. I'm like, yeah, yeah that'll do. Um, so I don't feel as proud of them, although recently I have put a bit more effort into write, like properly writing them. Um, but I don't put as much effort into them as I do as an episode of like a proper 20 minute episode of Punk Politics. So there's that. But the second reason it's a bit like leaves me a bit crestfallen. It's a bit sort of, you know, victim of my own success almost. I, don't, I know that sounds insufferable, but like... The second reason that it leaves me feeling a little bit down is that I've always had this idea in my head that the newspapers have a stranglehold of the journo-political conversation in this country. Like, from the news... Even though nobody buys newspapers anymore, I talk about this endlessly, so if you've heard me talk about this before, by all means, skip forward 20 seconds. But I've always looked at it like... You have the Sun, the Telegraph, the Express, the Mail, the STEM newspapers. Uh, and they, even though they don't sell an awful lot of copies, the power that they have, the influence that they have over the political conversation is huge because LBC, Good Morning Britain, BBC Breakfast, all of them do these what the papers say segments. And I always had it in my head that that was a sort of a laziness on the producer's side. You know, like if you just stopped worrying about what the Telegraph was saying and did your own investigations or your own exclusives or scoops, you wouldn't have all this power in the hands of the Barclay brothers or Rupert Murdoch or whoever. So I've always looked at it like we need to step away from this idea that the newspapers are where it's at. But now what I'm finding, dear listeners, now what I'm growing to realise is that the stranglehold that the newspapers have <laughs> is not just on the producers of these morning breakfast shows. It is already across the entire country. Like, all of the country are conditioned to care what these red-top, big black font headline tabloids say. And I know that 
Because when I do a video about, you know, X, Y, or Z, I'll put it up with a little thumbnail and it'll, it'll do okay. But when I do a video about what the papers say, the alternative paper review, people seem to flock to it. People are like, oh, I can't get it. Oh, yeah, let's, let's find out what the Telegraph, the Express, and the Mail think. It's bizarre to me. I mean, I'm not knocking it because it's not, you know, it's good to have views and maybe a small subset of those people who come in to see my supposedly alternative take on what these right-wing rags are belching on about that morning, maybe a small proportion of them will stick around and watch a punk politics or listen to a podcast. But it is a bit like, you know, this whole time I've been thinking, oh, it's just lazy producers. Oh, it's just the stranglehold that the tabloids have on blah, blah, blah. But actually, a an alarming amount of people seem to care re like a lot about what the Mail and the Express think. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, so that's, yeah, it's it's interesting at the moment seeing all this stuff blow up and grow a little bit more in the YouTube world. Um, right, what are we going to talk about this time? Can't Can't spend the whole hour talking about my YouTube challenges and frustrations, can we, guys? Um, there was a story that came out last week. Uh, I think it was on the front page of the Express, possibly the Mail. Um, and it said that the British Armed Forces are projected to be slashed by around 30% over the next 10 years. The British Armed Forces. What's the envy of the world, guys? Now due to be slashed by around 30% in the next decade. And it really got me thinking. Really got me thinking, like, how many times do you hear the Suella Bravermans, the Robert Jenricks, the Leanderthals, all of these guys. How many times do you hear them bang on about how this desperate brown guy climbing out of a dinghy might be a threat to national security? So we've got to stop the boats. That's what we've got to do. Meanwhile, it is this same political party who have allowed the public finances to tank to such an abysmal low that they can no longer afford to prop up the armed forces, <laughs> thereby exposing us to myriad national security risks. <laughs> like, I mean, when, when somebody climbs out of a dinghy and there's a very, very loose chance, very small probability that they might be, what, carrying a suicide vest or something, you know, they might be a lone wolf terrorist. There's a possibility that could happen. But what is the possibility? What is the certainty? <laughs> Guys, what are they preparing us for here? <laughs> if the armed forces are slashed by a third... What does that do, like, in terms of our vulnerability to geopolitical problems, you know, to a Putin, to a Kim Jong-un, to an America led by Trump, who increasingly is suggesting that he doesn't actually want anything to do with securing Europe or anything, to, to a UK that is cut adrift from the EU because we were so hysterical about the prospect of an EU army. What does that do to us? What, what do they have to say about that and its impact on national security? Just a alarming silence, I'm guessing. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, you know, because I, I trust that we have, you know, we've got the right people in charge, the best and the brightest. We have Grant Shapps, guys. Grant Shapps, Grant, 
Michael Green, Sebastian, is it Sebastian Fox? And uh, there's another one as well, wasn't there? I feel like there's at least one more. There was a female name that he was pretending to be as well. Anyway, we've got that fake web marketer guy in charge of the armed forces. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we're in good hands. Guys, I don't know, man. It's just, you know, how, how are they going to plug that gap in an increasingly unstable Western world? You know, like I, I did a joke on the punk politics thing the other day. I was like, you know, people used to look at Kanye West as the most unstable West. But now just the West is equally as unstable as Kanye West. That's how volatile and weird the Western world has become. I don't like what, what do you think their plan is? What do you think their plan actually is for having depleted the public finances through a mixture of gross incompetence with regards to things like, you know, HS2, test track and trace, all of the COVID fraud money, like all of that money is just funneled out and gone to their mates or been blown on useless projects. And, and, and then you've got the actual like looting. It, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about Baroness Moan. She's like the tip of the iceberg. What about the, who's the, um, the Tory Lord, who's also a donor, but he owns a contract medical staff company. So it's in his interest. If the Tories don't hire in more doctors and nurses, so the staff is overrun, uh, so the wards are overrun, and then the wards are forced to hire in emergency contract staff so people like him make an absolute killing. Like, but stuff like that. So you've got incompetence and then literally looting the public purse of billions. What do you think the plan is, you know? Of depleting the public finances to such an extent that they can no longer afford to run the armed forces... But how, how are they imagine? Is there any government documentation, any white paper, any Whitehall internal brief that suggests what the plan is like? To, what, what are they gonna, is it going to be like schools, you know, in the sense that, you know, back when they realised they could no longer afford to hire teachers, they sort of invented this role of the teaching assistant, didn't they? <laughs> But you could hire in somebody who would be a teacher, basically. They would sit in the classroom with the children. They would be a figure of authority who would tell the kids off if they started throwing paper aeroplanes at each other or, um, or you know, whatever it is that kids get up to these days. Probably don't even throw paper aeroplanes anymore, do they? Probably just bully each other like on Snapchat or whatever. <laughs> But anyway, you'd have like a teaching assistant, somebody who is literally a teacher, you know, <laughs> in every single facet, in every box that needs to be ticked. This person is a teacher, except the pay packet. Um, so with schools, they did it with a teaching assistant. With police and law enforcement, they did it with the uh, police community support officer. You know, this person is basically a policeman. They're there to walk around the neighbourhood with the right uniform on and to look a little bit like a figure of authority. But they're not actually a policeman <laughs> they're just you know it's cosplay basically i like when i was a kid it was illegal to impersonate a policeman apparently not anymore um so you had teaching assistants you had police community support officers what is it going to be with the armed forces do you think
Are they going to expand the territorial army? Is that, you know, we're going to get like 10,000 more Marc Francois <laughs> walking around inflated self-importance, pretending that they're three weekends away a year, somehow equate them with some like Blitz World War II veteran. Oh, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, when I was in the trenches. Oh, you were in the trenches? Yeah, uh, just for uh, three three days over a bank holiday uh, last June, uh, messing around in, in Dartmoor. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, yeah. What do you guys think their actual plan is to plug that gap? Well, I will tell you. I will enlighten you as only I can. I don't know if you saw it. There was a, there's a news story out, um, I think it was about a month ago, actually. Maybe it's a bit longer. I don't, I don't, so much happens now, it's difficult to keep track of it, right? But um, there was a news story, a bit of coverage over a Penny Mordaunt speech or campaign or something. It's in the Telegraph, but it was also covered in the Express, um, obviously. Uh, and it was about the return of national service. <laughs> and the comments beneath it were just insane. It was like these boomers and you know 50 somethings and they talk about yobbos and they talk you know oh that's well yeah do them some good do them so yeah put them in and give them a sense of duty a sense of patriotism none of these people commenting have ever done national service national service was phased out before the boomers would have come to, like what are they talking about well yeah i think it's just the thing for you did you do it no no do you know what you're talking about absolutely not no um so, yes, this is what we call soft PR. This is a very gentle, massaging kind of carpet bomb, very gentle and delicate to try to get you to think at a glacial pace that the return of national service <laughs> is not sort of oppression and forced labour and tantamount, really, to some sort of military slave trade. <laughs> it's like you're 16 are you yeah here's your uniform follow me but i don't want to i don't care we shoot deserters around here what, what do you want to do do you want to stay behind uh no no actually I, i've been thinking about it and um i uh no i'd, I'd love uh, yeah i would i would adore to come away i've always wanted to travel i mean admittedly i was picturing the maldives you know maybe the dominican republic i had never dreamed that i would be carted off to i don't know afghanistan iraq told to shoot brown people for their oil and then tell them that we've set them free and liberated them and get confused why they're not totally on board with that throw shoes at our leaders afterwards i don't understand why they're so ungrateful anyway so yes they are soft pring us into thinking that uh, the return of national service is something that we should consider guys so yeah i'm uh I'm dead psyched about that. Don't know about you guys. It's funny. I never thought I would grow up to shoot my child in any capacity. But now that they're talking about national service, and I guess at some point when we inevitably get invaded, <laughs> the draft, never thought I would shoot my kids. But I might actually shoot both of them in the feet just to get them out of doing military service. You know? I don't see why I should lose both of my kids to the military just because Tories can't manage the economy properly and then they have to force people into the arm. Anyway, look, you, you get the idea. So that was an interesting one. I mean, to a greater or lesser extent, it's sort of it's become a trademark now 
of conservatism, hasn't it? You know, we, we talk about bringing in teaching assistants to plug the gap of teachers. You know, like the obvious solution to that would be hire more teachers, you know, pay them more. Let the teaching salary climb with the cost of living so you don't run into some sort of teaching recruitment crisis, which is exactly what they found themselves in now. It's really difficult to dig themselves out of that. Same thing with the police. You know, you, you sacked off 20,000 of them. I think police have really had a proper pay rise, have they, in the last 10 years? It's public sector, so I'm guessing not. And now to recruit good police, good candidates into the police is tantamount to fantasy. It's like then, then we stand back and we wonder why they've ended up with these bad apples and why they let them off again and again. It's because they can't replace them. <laughs> it's because that's as good as it gets. When you go to market with a top end salary of like 25K in London. <laughs> guys, guys, we need to recruit uh, 10,000 more police. Uh, right. OK, where, where do you want to recruit them? Uh, in London. OK, um, well, you're going to need to pay about you know 40K, maybe 50K just for them to be able to survive living in London and pay their rent and their council tax and the food and the cost of the underground. About, about 40, 40 or 50K, really? Oh, right. OK. I, I was thinking more like. 25k right okay well i mean you you could you could go to market at 25k i can't promise you that you're gonna get the best and the brightest though right okay okay well what what will we get probably a load of rapists oh god god slim pickings is it yeah yeah um majority rapists at, at that salary band i'm afraid i mean for all the talk of we need to pay MPs £86,000 a year to attract the right talent. <laughs> There's something so darkly awful but kind of funny about like, look, you could attract the right candidate to the Tory party <laughs> for about 25k. You get the same set of skills for 25 grand. All you got to do is walk in the Metropolitan Police Headquarters. Just stroll into Scotland Yard and say, yeah, who, who wants to come and work for us for 26k? <laughs> maybe for really good candidates that you're poaching from the Met, maybe 27k. I don't know. 27.5. We could go a little bit higher. You like Before you even left Scotland Yard, you would have CVs being thrown. You'd be like dancing around in a uh, hailstorm, a blizzard of CVs. You'd look like the last bit of the crystal maze, you know, where they're trying to like grab all of the bits. That would be CVs and resumes flying around. It'd be so easy to poach them for a similar skill set. Anyway, so back to the thing about like, it, it's a kind of hallmark of conservatism, isn't it? That you go from teachers to teaching assistants, from policemen to police community support officers, prisons to, like I read that report, uh, how long ago, like when the guy escaped from prison, do you remember that? It was a couple of months ago now, like hid under the bottom of a van and drove out. And then they caught him three or four days later. And then it turned out that the like and there was quotes from people who work in the prison. They were like, the prisons are run by the prisoners, you know, and he didn't mean like in a sort of organized crime capacity. What he meant was that the, literally the prisoners are the ones that are running. They like clean all the floors. They work in the kitchen. They serve up the food. All to cut back on labor costs. So the prisons are run by the prisoners. 
The teachers are now the teaching assistants. The policemen are now, like, it would be so easy to just, like, hire in people who actually do these jobs. But at every single year that's gone past since 2010, every juncture, they'd be like, oh, how can we save a bit more money? <laughs> if we cut back on this, can I loot some money out to this third-party outsourcing thing that donated to CCHQ two months ago? Can we do that? We can. Oh, wicked. Yeah. Every single juncture. What's going to happen next, man? Like, is it like schools are going to be run by the pupils, aren't they? <laughs> you won't even have teaching assistants. You'll just have like the head boy at the corner of the history room, history classroom. Just have the head boy going, uh, can you keep it down in front, please? Listen to the teacher. You know, that's that doesn't even sound that outrageous, does it? People like a, a, a pupil like Rishi Sunak, a proper like head boy. An annoying head boy with that plummy tone and his little, you know, brooch badge thing. Head, but I'm the head boy. That's why I get to wear this. That would, it's exactly the sort of person who would then go, oh, yeah, this will look really good on my college application, won't it? That's where this is headed, isn't it? Free labour, outsourcing, slashing everything. Anything that's public sector will be ripe for slashing. Police, healthcare, Prisons, schools, Whitehall, though. <laughs> go up to a Grant Shapps or a Rishi Sunak and go like, yeah, you're public sector, right? Well, we think in the interest of like, in the current economic climate, it's probably only fair that we slash your salary by 30. Oh, no, 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 don't be ridiculous. No, no, no. We are, <laughs> we are very much the exception to the rule. God, it's depressing, isn't it? Um... Do you think Grant Shapps, do you think one of Grant Shapps' roles, like, even if he, he as an MP or as a defence secretary, which I can barely say without laughing, <laughs> even if they are safe from slashing and cost cutting and all of that, do you think just like the web marketing and all of the myriad aliases, do you think maybe they could be, you know, teaching assistanted somehow? Answers on the postcard, guys. Um... What else is going on? Let's talk a minute about these royals, these bloody royals, shall we, guys? So, so a quick recap, I guess, just a little bit of context for you, my dear Binfluencers. Um, so, look, we we kind of we all know the background of Prince Andrew, right? We know that he was friends with Epstein. We know uh, that he had sex with Virginia Dufre. He denies it, but it, oh, we all know it happened, right? <laughs> I don't want to get myself all libeled, but we kind of... I think we can accept now that he did have sex with her. Um, because if he didn't, he wouldn't have settled with her out of court with £12 million of his mum's money. That is not something you do <laughs> to make an allegation with which, like, you hugely disagree. You wouldn't make that allegation go away, would you? And then, like, wouldn't you sue her? You'd say, like, I never did that, so prove that I did. Like, there's obviously some evidence somewhere that he did do it, or he can't prove otherwise. So so we know that that happened. Uh, and we know that she was trafficked uh, by Epstein internationally, London, Florida, uh, the paedophile island thing. And we know, as of, like, a couple of weeks ago, when the, the Epstein files were released... That there is testimony that backs up Virginia Dufresne's testimony that not only was Prince Andrew on this paedophile island, <laughs> but he was there for weeks. 
he really enjoyed himself staying there. Um, so, so we know that. And what was the other thing that came out? Um, oh yes, no, I remember now. It was it like a chef or like some sort of staff, like the house staff? He had said that Prince Andrew, not as, like he was there for weeks, but also that he was getting massages every single day. <laughs> So it's pretty bad headlines for Prince Andrew and by proxy, pretty bad headlines for Buckingham Palace. Um, and you have to remember that this is like days after he is re-invited to go and have Christmas, like the Christmas ceremony with the royals. I think up in Balmoral, isn't it? That's where they go for the Christmas service every year. So he was just sort of dipping his toe back into like public duties, you know, testing the water. Do these people really hate me? Are they going to accept me? Let's see what the news coverage is like. Just just dipping his toe back in. And then all of these headlines start and this expose kicks up again. And So Buckingham Palace need to shift the narrative, don't they? And so isn't it interesting? Isn't it fascinating how that stuff all kicks off? Then last week we see the first like big male splash. Uh of uh, like Harry and Meghan, like ripping into Harry and Meghan again, says that. And now this week, like in the last seven days, we've got the king's asshole. <laughs> we've got Kate, Princess of Wales, in hospital with some mystery abdominal surgery. And now just today, we've got Sarah Ferguson, Fergie, Prince Andrew's wife, who still lives with him. Oh, ex-wife, sorry, but still lives with him in the Royal Lodge on Royal Grounds, she has been diagnosed with skin cancer. What are the chances of all three of those things happening at once within the Royal Family in a weak block? What are the chances? I mean, I don't want to sound callous, guys. I don't want to sound unfeeling and... You know, unsympathetic to anyone. Like, if you get a skin cancer diagnosis, that must be incredibly frightening for you. If you have an enlarged prostate, like it is reported that the king does, that too must be incredibly concerning for you. You'd be thinking about your future, your will, your kids, like literally your will <laughs> in Charles's case. But you'd be thinking about, you know, life, love, the universe, all that stuff. Um, if you are Kate... And you got this weird mystery tummy bug, <laughs> whatever it is. That must also be, you know, quite jarring for you. But it's like, what? It's, it's just no way that all three of these things are legit. One of them has to be made up, if not all of them. And also, like, you're talking about the royal family, right? Are you, tell are you seriously telling me that you couldn't have the Princess of Wales going into hospital on the on the download are you seriously telling me that couldn't be arranged for the princess of wales for the king you're telling me the king couldn't go in to have his enlarged prostate looked at you're telling me that sarah ferguson has to reveal a skin cancer diagnosis this same week really i don't believe it i just don't believe it i think like either Buckingham Palace have soiled their reputation 
uh, with regards to public relations, PR, which is kind of ironic when you consider like what PR is actually set up to do is to improve your reputation, right? But either Buckingham Palace PR have sufficiently soiled their own reputation that I personally don't believe them, anything that they say. So it's kind of on them or they are legitimately lying about this stuff. And so it's, you know, you take your pick. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like, isn't it interesting? That all of these things are happening. They're all like they're dropping like flies, man. These poor, poor Windsors, poor Royals. Um, I was saying on the alternative paper review this morning. I was like, you know, it's it's almost like they looked at the bad coverage of Prince Andrew, and they worked out they can't eject him from the royal family. That is just a red line. You would never see that. A, a former member of the upper circle of the royal family just completely cut adrift. I just don't think that's realistic. So if you accept that they're not going to get rid of him, they have to find some way to obfuscate and manipulate the public conversation into basically you loving the royal family sufficiently that you're willing to take him along with it. And maybe the PR narrative, the story that they're going for is, oh, God, the royals. Oh, they've had they really have a, a tough year, haven't they? It's been a hard year for the royals. I mean, first off, there was the king's asshole. I don't know if you guys remember, you know, this would be like December this year. I don't know if you guys remember, but the king had an enlarged prostate and that was a very scary time. We just did not know what was going to happen. And then Kate, poor blessed Kate, sweet, thin, silent Kate. Oh, she was admitted to hospital with a, a strange mystery. Like, what is she in there for? What What is she actually in the hospital for? Like somebody was saying the other day, she's having a facelift, <laughs> which is possible. You know, I don't want to cast aspersions and I'm not judging anyone who has a facelift. If you if you if you need that to help you feel confident about yourself, good for you. I don't know if that's the thing that she's going for or not. Um, but it did cross my mind, right? Like that. What if? What if, guys, Princess Kate, dear, sweet, sweet, wordless Kate Middleton, what if, you know, she came back home from one of her many, many work engagements, incredibly hard, tough, gruelling even work engagements that I read so much about. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the coverage, the fawning coverage of poor, blessed, sweet Kate and how she's going to be working from her hospital bed. Such is her commitment to a tough, tough job. Um, interesting, isn't it? Like whenever somebody's, you know, on the right side of the express and the mail and the tele, like somebody like Kate Middleton can work from her bed. But when it's the rest of us working from home, that's not real work, is it? <laughs> Nick Ferrari will have like a coronary talking about like, well, that, we're never going to fix the economy with you sitting at home in your jammies, are we? You know, it's like just contempt and dispersion casting over here. But if it's Kate working from the hospital bed, well, that shows commitment, guys. That is, oh, she's just dedicated to service to this country. Um, but yeah, the coverage, man, of her going into the hospital and how she's very brave and 
What if, what if she came back home from one of her many grueling work engagements and she just slung her bag on the thing and then Wills comes up to her. It's always Wills, isn't it? It's never William uh, or Will or Billy. It's always Wills. Good old Wills. Uh, Wills comes up to her and he says, like, have you had a tough day, darling? And she turns around and the light just catches him. Right? Anyway, it's a moment of passion and they kiss each other and, and he, they're, they're rutting over the breakfast bar of Kensington Palace or wherever it is that they're living. And, oh, it's a passionate moment and it's, it's really good. But anyway, they've already got their children and, you know, they can't really deal with another one right now because I don't know if you've read, but Wills is juggling the childcare. No mention of nannies or help or house servants and cooks and all the rest of it, <laughs> and the nursery that they probably are in all day. Wills is juggling the childcare. And obviously this is so arduous. This is so gruelling on Will. They couldn't possibly consider having another child. It would be too tough on poor sweet Wills. But anyway, they, they rot over the breakfast bar and then a month later, oh, she checks, she checks the pregnancy and she's pregnant. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is, this is not planned. This is not good at all. We've got so much on. I don't know about you, Will, but I'm really busy with my tough, grueling, grueling work. Oh, what are we going to do? So then they book themselves in, book her in to a Mary Stopes clinic, right? Or realistically a booper, you know, thing. And then the Mary Stopes lady will come out. <laughs> and I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with Mary Stopes. It's an abortion clinic. It's an abortion service. So then Kate is booked in and they taken into the thing and, you know, she's, they go through with the procedure and everyone out here is just like, poor sweet Kate, working from her bed, still working the whole time. She works so much. I don't know if I've mentioned to you how hard she works for somebody who can barely speak. She's a credit to the mute community, the world over, <laughs> guys. Um... But yeah, like, how weird would it be if, like, then she goes through the procedure and, you know, I don't want to trigger anyone with this stuff, but, like, she goes through the procedure and then, you know, a week later, two weeks later, she comes out of the hospital and everyone's just like, are you okay? Was your abdominal kind of tummy procedure, was it okay? Are you okay, Kate? And then she pulls the mic closer behind the podium and the crowd are all sort of, like, whispering amongst themselves. Like, I, I don't know what she had done. Did she have, a, like, a, a tummy tuck? Or did she have some sort of serious abdominal surgery? Or, like, what was wrong with her? Are you okay, Kate? Are you okay? And then she clears her throat and she says her first words in years. When she comes closer and she says, You guys have made this abortion really awkward. <laughs> what if that happened? Well, then realistically, you know, we would have this morning and Good Morning Britain segments on abortion and abortion rights. And it's a woman's choice. And it would never hit the end of it. It would be the conversation for that week. I'm sure of it. Um, I don't know, man. Um, I mean, it's just it's a bizarre period to be living through with this obsession over Kate Middleton. She's gone into the hospital and King Charles, like, did you see the Daily Mail coverage the other day where it was like, um, it was like, let's just pray they're both okay. And uh, it's just weird. Like, and, and the way that Kate is portrayed as this sort of delicate, silent flower is like, there's a real unhealthy obsession with the sort of flag-waving patriot Brits right and then Kate Mid like the Catriots is what they are. Let's call them Catriots. I mean, they seem to not really have a problem 
with her being this like pretty mannequin, basically, isn't she? Like she never says, when was the last time you saw an interview with Kate Middleton or her standing up, like cutting a ribbon, like doing a speech and cutting a ribbon? Like you never hear anything from her. She's silent. It's so weird to me. Like, how can you claim to be an even half modern institution? You know, when you're a Wills or like traditionally Harry would be up there with him, you know, talking about mental health and a bit of this and a bit of that and this initiative and that charity. How can you claim with a straight face to be representative or reflective of modern attitudes and modern challenges when your approach to equality seems to start and stop at like, you know, Buckingham Palace with artwork about like the slave trade. And then, <laughs> then you've got like Kate Middleton, the pretty dolly who is forbidden from speaking. Does Kate not have any opinions about anything? What? Like, I mean, here I am knocking it, right? But hear me out, guys. <laughs> hear me out. I mean, yes, it's completely against feminism. Yes, it makes them a laughing stock in terms of their commitment to equality. I mean, even the very existence of a royal family living off our taxes in gilded luxury versus equality. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous, right? But is is Kate Middleton actually the result of an incredibly fine-tuned, self-learning Buckingham Palace PR machine? Do you know what I mean? Like, like they've looked at Diana. They looked at the act, like the Princess of Wales proper, if you like. When you say Princess of Wales, who do you think of? I think of Diana. So they looked at Diana and how she spoke her mind and how she attracted quite the following, incredibly popular the world's media went after her, followed her everywhere. The most pictured woman in the world in, in the 1990s, right? They saw what happened when she spoke her mind. When she was allowed to have a personality, she became inarguably more popular than the royal family herself. They saw that. And then they were like, right, OK, listen, Wills, you can you can marry whoever you like, but she cannot have a personality. <laughs> she cannot speak. She can't have opinions. She can't just just she's a mannequin. Just put clothes on her, tell her to smile and shut the fuck up. That's it. That's her job. She can live in a palace. She can have a chauffeur. She can have five holidays a year, but she's just got to shut the fuck up. What do you think, Will? Could you float the idea to her? Can she just stay quiet? Because either, either she can and that's great or she can't and it's Rose Hanbury. And I think we all know Rose Hanbury could keep her mouth shut. So... <laughs> You made a decision, but either way, you're going to have a quiet wife. And, uh, you know, Wills, Paul Wills, probably like the rest of us. We're actually sort of weighing this up. He's like, do you know what? I've been in a few arguments. I've had it in the ear a few times. Do you know what? A quiet wife doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, it's, it's a weird time, man. This coverage of the royals. This carpet bombing of... Sarah Ferguson's skin cancer, uh, the king's asshole, uh, Kate Middleton's weird mystery abdominal surgery. Uh, I mean, like, what's going to happen is like every time there's a bad news story about Prince Andrew, another royal is going to come down with something. <laughs> and it's just going to blanket the coverage from the Daily Mail, from Liz Jones, from like, all of the royal correspondents. Just going to shit their tits about... Any time a royal comes down with with a cold, even it's gonna be like, yeah, we've got evidence here. We've got um, uh, video footage from Epstein's Island of Prince Andrew 
double teaming two 13 year olds with Bill Clinton. It's, it's not good. It's going to be in tomorrow's mirror. Uh, I don't know what, if you like, we're just giving a courtesy call, just letting you know Buckingham Palace PR. And they'll be like, oh, God. All right. Um, th th thanks for letting us know. Thank you. Yeah. Um, let's let's get on the phone now to Liz Jones and uh, and the uh, Nicholas Witchell and all the rest of them. Let's tell them uh, who's 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 got a, a very slight physical ailment right now. Prince Edward puts up his hand. He's like, I, I do. I do. I, I was born with uh, webbed testicles. I'm, I'm willing, willing to go on the on television and, and talk about that and raise a wet. No, Edward. Nobody cares about you. Nobody. Does anybody have anything else? Come on, we need to capture the narrative. Princess Beatrice, how about you? Swollen liver? Oh, fine. Yes. Let's get her out there, out front. Pray for Beatrice. Um, I mean, look, I've been trolling the mail, by the way, for the last couple of days. I've just been like, yo, 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 yo. If I'd known how easy it was to get like a week's worth of coverage over minor physical ailments... You know, and routine surgery appointments or whatever. I would have let these guys know, like, from the outset. You know, every time you get a Veruca removed, every time you go to the dentist, hashtag pray for aid. I look forward to Liz Jones fawning over me every day. Start prank calling her at the Daily Mail news desk. <laughs> Just phone up there, like, one lunchtime. Like, <laughs> hello, yeah, is that some... Um, is that Liz Jones? Uh, yes, yes, this is she. Liz Jones of the Daily Mail. Yes, yeah. Um, what, what's up? How can I help? Right, um, Liz, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit embarrassed about this. I, I've never done this before. I never phoned a newspaper before. But I, I, um, I have a story. I, I've got a hell of a scoop for you. Right, okay. Um, well, do, do tell. I mean, how, how are you involved? What's, what's happened? Right, okay. Um, I'll start from the top. I'll, I'll try and start from the beginning. Um, okay. So, um, I have a tummy ache. Right. And I've just taken some Rennie Rapees. Right, okay. Um, sorry, what What exactly? What else has happened? No, no, that's it. I mean, it's just that the way that you're going on about the Royals at the moment, with every tiny little health problem, I assumed that you would give me, like, a week's worth of free PR guff covering. Will you fuck off? Stop phoning me! <laughs> Phone her back the next day and be like, yeah, hi, is that Liz? Uh, yes, this is she. Right, uh, Liz, um... My fingers sort of sore. Will you leave me alone? This is bordering harassment. <laughs> but I've got a sore finger, Liz. My, my finger is sore. Come back even the next day. Like, hello, is that uh, is that Liz Jones? Yes, yes, this is she. How can I help? Liz, I've got this anal migraine. Oh, my goodness sake. And you would think it would end there, wouldn't you? But it won't. It's I am relentless with this stuff. It is. It never question the tenacity, the steadfastness of my ADHD with campaigns like this. I would happily, I would set up like a voice dictation thing so that whenever my dad talks about his like health problems, I'm not high blood pressure aid. And it's, yeah, oh, I've got to take like these three tablets a day. And then, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get off them now, to be honest with you. I've got high blood pressure tablets I've got to take. And then I've got to say, I've got to take a bit of exercise every day. I've got to do this. And then I've got to take some of for the diabetes, you know, and take some of those tablets. Like just an endless stream. The voice dictation would record it, right? Put each thing into a separate email and then post that shit straight off to Liz Jones's inbox or her phone. I get a phone number off Muckrack or something. Just constant SMS texts of my dad's health problems. That's where we're headed with this. <laughs> anyway, guys, look, this has been fun. Um, I will be back 
hopefully uh, I think Friday night this week. I was supposed to have Julia Patterson, Dr. Julia Patterson on um, uh, last Friday, but unfortunately she couldn't make it. So um, then Graham Hughes uh, very kindly stepped in. Um, hopefully I'll be back uh, this Friday night with a guest. I'll probably do another solo show this week because uh, I know I've sort of neglected them somewhat. So they'll be going out to the Patreons and the YouTube community members first as always, uh, for two days before they re-emerge in final form, uh, again on YouTube, but also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, do not be a stranger, by the way. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying Punk Politics and the Alternative Paper Review, uh, check out the Join button on YouTube. Just tap that, have a little look at the tiers that you can join. Uh, or go on to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. We've got a Discord chat. We're doing London meetups. The next one is in March. So if you want to come and meet me in person in London, have a few beers and talk rubbish about life, love, the universe and how terrible the formerly Great Britain has become, uh, then yeah, jump on that. And uh, until next time, take care of yourselves. Keep it strictly hashtag Bimfluencer and always hashtag Booge. I'm out this motherfucker.